um, those sitting in the little area between the door and the uh, stadium seating, you can come on in and sit on the floor. It's probably better to hear and to see. Um, I think you could probably make a little pool here if you like. Um, I wouldn't block that hallway. And it'd be nice for you to see these readers as they read, for them to see you as well. So come on in. Um, I suspect more people will be coming in, so my other reason for asking you to come in and sit down is so that the other people who come in will have somewhere to be. Um, I'm Anna Joyce Greer. This is the new writing series. And uh, we are extremely pleased to have two uh, brilliant poets today um, and critics, uh, Fred Moten and Michael Palmer. Um, before I, in I have the introducer come up, I want to just tell you one little thing about um, if you need to leave early or if you need to find a different seat. If you need to leave early, it might not be a bad idea. This will probably go till about six. So it might not be a bad idea for you to come down here now because coming down um, the, the little uh, exit areas is kind of loud and clunky and can be a teeny bit distracting for people who are reading. So if you think you might need to leave early, you can do that now um, and come sit down here. Um, also, the other thing is, it's a real good idea if a reader's performing to not walk right in front of them. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it might be intuitive, it might not be, but it's not like a lecture in lecture hall where you need to leave. They're actually really focusing on often on audience response, and sometimes that walking in front of can be also distracting. Okay. Um, the, the reading today is going to be fabulous, and I'm uh, in a good introduction. I also want to let you know about a reading that's happening next week in the same space. space with uh, Harold Abramovitz and Amanda Ackerman, who do a lot of collaboration. And Amanda's neighbor uh, is, she has put uh, sensors on plants and is reading work that she wrote to the plants, which are getting sent back to a synthesizer, and the plants are translating her own words back into English. <laughs> so it's a really interesting experiment. Um, Okay, uh, without further ado, uh, Jose Antonio Vieron. No. <laughs> Not a social, but against the social. 
someone who believes intensely in the importance of thinking and study, in the importance of thinking and study to liberation. His poetry collections include The Little Edges, The Field Trio, B. Jenkins, Houston's Tavern, I Ran From It But Was Still In It, Poems, and Arkansas. His scholarly texts include The Undercommons, Fugitive Planning and Black Study, co-authored with Stephen Harney, and In the Break, The Aesthetics of the Black Radical Tradition. He lives in LA, where he teaches English at the University of California, Riverside. He speaks English. He's ethnic. especially happy to be reading uh, the opening for Michael Palmer, um, who I met maybe 30 years ago, I don't know if you remember, at Bill Porter's dinner table in, uh, in Boston. And um, so I, 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 have to, I have to write Bill a letter. <laughs> One of those I don't even, I, I would say it was a dream come true, but I wouldn't have ever had the temerity to dream it. But, um, so I think today I will just read um, a few poems from the Field Trio and from The Little Edges and then from some new, newer stuff. So um, I, I, was, I had all these ideas about what I was going to read, but like Jose did such a good job with the lines, I could read some stuff that he didn't pull from. <laughs> I can't make it sound like he. Um, so, but I think I will read, um, I think there were some sections from the first section of the field trio called, uh, which is called Block Chapel, and the, they kind of originated as, um, as a set of, I thought that they were like sort of performance texts. I was uh, at this um, kind of a performance festival, I guess you could say, in, in Berlin. And I saw this amazing uh, uh, dance troupe called uh, Sankai Juko, and um, and they gave me a kind of jolt that uh, that resulted in, in me trying to imagine writing poems that would be uh, that would be texts for for some kind of performance art, um, or at least a kind of backdrop against which some kind of performance art might take place. So I'm going to read those. And then I'll look at some other stuff that kind of is in that same vein that's in, that are in the little edges. Color brings the house down to carnival. Another minute never ends. Falling is a choir brushing dirt up in our mouths. That transparency till it's back down on the floor. Raised up everything that was ever taken anywhere as emphatic grit with specific ribbons curved in grave red air and tilted back and forth between weave and hush. Your coat is plain and light, 
and the bottom is prepared to challenge standing with texture and seeing, but suddenly. That pattern on the edge is graphic patience Higgins on the edge, so writing down like smoke on paper in basic flavor. Black smoke composition cuddles around the off chance, the sooty groove, and the violent Arco catalog. Let it go till it comes back again. It should be something on the wall. Something on the floor should call itself when they break it down to put it back up again. When it comes back again, it should be gone till it's all gone again and ready to return. It should pose and turn at the easy intersection till it can't come back again. Repeat till it's all gone. Find the itinerant pasture in the wind. Watch it sway against the neat cutting of Irish lamb. Its common grift is gone to the city, the steel mill, and the nursing home, linked by diving to Dumas and cow pasture, and made to suffer under imprecise grazing, cold executive gouging, brutal vacations, and tight scheduled pretty songs like a crofter's ghost. We study partial folds in them alpine jukes, bent, bow-tongued, stick and move in mahogonic rupture in September in Alabama, throat sung to the cabaret's general step and fade. Out here you breathe they breath. This bridge is just. This bridge is just a pile of bones this load be breathing. This alpine rasp and this dry bridge just be weaving. That's how Fluxall West got started in Head Start. Gorillas measured rhythm cloth for Horace. Dwight Tribble sang without a song. You'll see mothers from Grape Street and soul brothers from the strainy lady fields of Stanislaus, Gilroy, and Dolores. Valencia will be juicy and cool and hot and hunky. Watch the choir <laughs> step to that open microphone. You've ever hot and hunky is that hamburger place not too far from the the street. This landing was for smugglers. Then we became smugglers. We put phonographs on the pylon and furrows in our hand for Women's Day. Do you ever think about what it feels like to bury your own city again and again every evening in the evening air and have that sheer taken from nothing by the ones who visit everyone but you? The violence of the coping strata is specific in season. We give shit away to hurt people and build poor shelters that move and wrap around. We love to hold the continual failure in one another till new things come from that like bullets that catch bullets for butter and chocolate. Our thing event theme is doing it to death. I feel good is brazen on the scene of personal injury. Sugar and spices and country ass shit in the middle of this shit. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to say it like that, but what about the rock fights and random blades when language lays out? 
there's no language for the two sweet object of everybody's third thought any motherfucking way. Along those lines, do I remind you of your mother? I want to, but just to scare you. Let's warm our hands in one another and feel the long black arc of that absolute swing, fun and vulgar in the swung self-stimulation of all the wrong, extra, diacritical names. I just want to satisfy you. Though you're not mine, you're not just mine. Communism is how you get nasty with enjoyment. <laughs> Good morning is the new catastrophe of our boulevard. So you gave up what you never had, and now you're a collection agency. You need a lawyer. At a loss, I say good morning. He says, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. We feel seemingly good about ourselves. <laughs> this brutal pleasure is what we have to give. What you're waiting for is in your hand if you hold it out. Your absent haunting is nothing special. The shit that's special is the residue, the cream, the burly innovation. When you see it's worse than you could ever imagine, there's a dandelion. That's what hurts so goddamn much. The sun. See, like a few more, um, a couple more from, from, uh, from Block Chapel. The way orchestras sound in Birmingham, that's my sound. I belong to that sound all the time, every day. How bound am I by music? The brain's little wilderness is a backbeat, a shotgun shack, a deferred villa and built-in cross and time windows and overlaid buzzers like you were struck by the consolation of a blue Joseph boy when his seminar is on the discrepancy. There's a theory of sound in the autograph but you have to wait for the sound of the theory of sound, enfolded between folded hands and presence in the upper room like a folded dream. The tower is held together by every other building in town, and the mystery is in effect, or an aromatic bridge, or a bridge machine, or you'll know why. Come on and feel the liturgical east end of the city. An alarm takes you there through the hidden dollhouse arch to the half-circle flavor of Roma, that Romanesque smell, thumping in the house of the music on the run like a wrecking ball. They try to take it, and they take it for pain and money. They show it and try to close it up inside and ship it all over the world. It's always something they can't get to, but then they get to it and try to sell it so they can get to what was left. You just have to close your eyes and walk, but they see everything and walk all over it like a bridge on the shallow water where we dance and eat and rub. Everybody reaches out for you in the house party of abandoned buildings. They all steal because they've all been stolen. If you know that before you go in, you can see yourself in every little step away for the Feast of Ascension and Rupture. Thick layers of breath, twist, and shout to keep on making air shafts all night long. I just found out you can make the plans reflect this after the fact, 
If you wake up sad and faded, run look inside that tube. Cobalt opens up like a crypt on the surface between knowing everything and all the new things you make up that nothing can ever know except the other ones who dance and eat and love. But I just want to sit here with you if that's all right. You still got cornmeal in your hands. There's a beautiful scale on your hands and a light walking away in the grove. There's a bump on the end of the joint if you can't make it home. Sometimes, but not all the time, if you can't make it home. We carved it out almost by praying, and it swelled from the edge of all that nail and string. I'm going to sleep in there tonight myself. The city of God is too much more than whole. Come on and dance and eat and rub. Um, you hear little noises up in here? <laughs> And it's actually supposed to sound like that, right? So like you have to actually imagine interjections and they were they were they were trying to they were basically like okay we'll go but can we cuss? <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, you can't cuss. And they were like, so now I'm in trouble because they just heard me cuss. I'll have to hear about that. <laughs> Um, and I'm getting ready to do some more. Um, so then I'm going to read um, just a, a couple of uh, sequences from uh, The Little Edges, uh, the first two, I guess. Um, and the first one is called Fortrad, Fortran, but it could be Fortrade, Fortrain. I, I don't I never figured out. It's funny, right? You ever write a word, but you don't know how to pronounce it. So, <laughs> See, it's cool to ask a question like that in a room full of people go, yeah, I think. <laughs> Usually people look at you like, you're crazy. <laughs> That's what Rodney asked about. Can you make what we already, do you remember? How did the people have? Let it get around and get on in. Complicity in Scar City, Arkansas. Complexity in Complicita, Louisiana. Here go a box with a lid on it. If you open it up, you can come into our world. Up in here, you look like Cuddy do. House look like he up. If so, don't you want to go? Live, remote, preoccupied with breathing and black as machine ecology. Iron Man, all over the pan, all over the basin. Duong, chant carry pauses and actually live inside them gift double, to see things and say, can hear them vary, Pearl, from then beginning all gone inside, remember threshold, surround her separateness with bands, but if I were a bell, exhaustion makes life everlasting, when I dance with you, I am the move mover, baby, you're a solid sender, we pound plenty, baby, softened in our program. Our transubstantial fade and cross-fade bodies, baby. Take this and think about me in the first place. Begin in the real presence of my skin, baby. You shook me. Your hand is my pocket. I'm a pocket man. Your hand is in my pocket. I fix broken rockets. You are my starship. You're all I need. You send for me and I can't keep myself from coming, baby. 
as I am, I have what I already have. I'm yours. Precision and humility in the experiment is written on the way you customize your uniform. A ritual of lotion and stillness in the morning before you make it into work. On the edge of your train. On the edge because you're driven to the edge in your violent correctness. Over the edge of what you're listening to. Like somebody listening to you. You might be one. You might be someone that needs listening to. You might need somebody too. A lot of this is found in what we have. Almost all of this belongs to you. Are you going to give me some? No, nah, you're on your way to work, little sister. That's all right, young man. Bye, baby. The unspeakable tower is what they did. Our shit has some names, and sometimes they sound good at the bottom of it. Therefore, proceed against that little pillhead fucker to correct people's pronunciation. <laughs> full tread, full train. Ain't really got to where we got somewhere to go. Premature precepts dripped from deferred foreskins, brought out from nowhere with forceps with no receptacle. But early on, my grammar cleft my palate with okras and blues. Mimi said, don't listen to them blues. She knew she should because her shoe moved. She knew the man playing Ray Charles was Ray Charles. She put the jazz cry on an early stove, cooked it down to a low gravy. With this trade, these little fours, your dirty palate, a savory train between in blood sorbet. Let it dry and make a vase out of it. We poured what was in it on our greens and blues and ochres, our loud flavors, and the tree we danced around, the tree we made a movie around, against that little pillhead fucker to correct people's predestination. <laughs> fo, fo, fo. Four, four. Four, 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 Simper fee, simper five, motherfucker. <laughs> Fume instead of kill. The incident in cross hatches a burst of whispers, a mouthpiece in bird air, in need turned out to be our desire, a video of the archive in play. It's some indelicate news on the wall. Something in silence for everything that everybody ever wanted. Crisis for everything that ever burned inside. My baby's black representational space is another world. Black workers of the other world unite up in there. One named Peanut, the other named Bush, making shit up in Chance Theater, which is a truck farm and exploded roads. My baby's black representational space is the South Dakota Hills. You like the comfortable surprise of its location? See how it travels? It's other than itself, and it sells itself that way. Whose little self are you? Mine. My baby's black representational space is all over the place. So he got to move his body. Body cut the neurotypical field with a razor in the shape of a basketball. Somebody's seen give me body, you can hear it bounce. My baby's black representational space is a black head on some black skin. In the city of the blemish, on the blemish of delivery, the mayor's name is Demand. But you can call her Woody, or Few, or Mole in the ground, or at your service. 
So, and then I'll read one more of these kind of performance texts, I guess you could call them. And then, uh, and then just finish with some newer things. So this is called Hand Up to Your Ear. And um, it was originally written for a kind of a, a performance that was done at the Whitney Museum a few years ago. Um, with this uh, great group of sound artists called Ultra Red. Um, so it's got a kind of a, it's called Hand Up to Your Ear, but it has a, a subtitle, which I guess I have to read. Um, so Hand Up to Your Ear. For you to find a way to sound and move. Don rhymes with Robert Selmer like a plastic fuse to blow out the emperor's ambiance with shouting in the theological desert of the city. You bring with you to galleries an echo of shipping, an avenue warehouse, a river bee, and the Pendergast machine is disciplined against an echo of shopping, too much arrangement in the head, Susan's sound through store-bought power. That show of shows is a bill of lading business pleasure, and the auctioneer's nervous run is overtaken by worn shadow, homeless wear is walking, the armory is walking away, some nervous agent in the air. You are a base community. Apprehend before the sound, the cargo, the brutalized openings, which also surrounded, but only for a time they can't be measured in permeance. It's an imprecision bordering on invasion to call this context. That rapturous silence, shouting, composed in listening, so we discompose ourselves in one another. Lose your composure in repose, at rest, in descent, in the general murmur, a general antagonism of noise, the fugue of the absolutely poor, her gift of diving, her depressive largesse of lifting and study in series, her overlapped happenings of attendance, lapsed concentricities, submerged ciphers, like a bunch of little churches and ballrooms with open doors. You are the bottom. We care about each other so militantly, with such softness, that we exhaust ourselves and then record in the resonance of our slightly open mouths, the sound of that, in the absence of the enemy that we keep making. A disconnected movement as it preoccupied, held already in the beautiful gathering afternoon, carried by one another as one another's play moments, listening to the sound through one another's skin, preserved the sound through membrane and water to find our form and correspondence. Your body is a mixing board. Come take a listening walk and admire your hand twisting. The listening is in watching how you move to touch and sounding, brushing up against your friend to see how his position sounds to make the music we are making by moving the people moving around. Make sound works out of rustling to notice the material that comes up on us, that we come upon, do something with. Do something with the sound like it's your friend, like you met her at the quadrophenic playground. You are a child in a club. One night in San Francisco, off the impeccable to fray nailed stud of a live black hawk, of the more and less than full divided air of a mystophone, 
through her devised air, O master of ceremonies miles, like a speaker in a whisper with a monster, say form a pit and brush somebody's hand. Make a mix in violent rubbing until your work is gone. Make a prompt, a four square, then the squares collapse as separates, but other than before, till work is made to disappear, to register its fields as present in the sound and its sources. Everybody brush somebody's hand till the work is gone to the alternate slam. How long can you sustain the four square? This is how to make little works just walking down the street, collaborating with the hand you brush as shawls serrate the length of her arcade. You want sensory issues. Curate the sound you make by jumping. Flap your hands before your eyes. In lengthening, become from another country. Imitate the movement, but expel more air. Say this is your house and run a lap in it, but dance with the air immediately around the ones who seem at home. Repeat a word or phrase slightly louder, up three steps, then down, like a color block in a Hoffman painting. For a minute, say every letter of every word, but slowly. Hold somebody's hand up to you. So this is some new stuff, and um, it's uh, I keep messing around with the title, but I think I figured out a good title. Um, it's called. Uh, I'm going to call it Stay on the Scene, but scene is spelled for me. Um, I'm just going to read some stuff from the last section, I suppose. I don't even really know if it's like a real section yet, um, but it's called, uh, at first I was calling it, going to call it Boogie School, and then I started thinking, no, I'm going to call it Scene Boogie, and then I thought of, uh, there's an old song by uh, this man called A Taste of Honey, called Oogie Oogie Oogie, y'all remember that? Um, and when I was little, you know how you say <laughs> stuff to make people move? Um, some, so sometimes, I don't know why, I never talked to her about it, but my mom would, when, I, she, was, when she wanted me to move, she would say, Oogie, Oogie Oogie. <laughs> so I feel I'm gonna call it Oogie Oogie. Um, and I'm just gonna read, uh, I think I'll just read two, two things um, from that. Uh, to close. Um, the first is called Ooh, like O-O. Groove conjecture and ruthless happiness. Oh, ooh, oh, absence and contusion. Rehearse and strain the new colonial rubble. Sufficient for grounding refusal in plaza. Real grammar is weed ecology. Outburning of outbuilding. <coughs> A bloom surround the picture of nothing but surrounding, there she go. The essence of it is way outside. Multiple scenes for exhausting the pure multiple speech of impure release. Send her thighs anacomputable flex through past and future. Big Mama's anarecombinant anima be impossible to dress. Nothing like no makeup for the more plus less than ones have been reduced to a target of him making himself up, fake himself whole, pushing wholeness on the whole, still riding old pain, still riding old pain, stop riding old pain, goodbye old pain, I'm leaving Cheyenne. 
We emerge in the wide border where all vortex persist in simulation. Moved boogie-oogie, Munoz-ooga-booga, boom-bridged exclamation self-stimming itself away up under all that surfacing for scratched surfaces. The surfeitry of our raggedy-ass circuitry till we all decide to improve. Plus Enderjet, plus Enderjet, Enderdragon. Can't expect how math go groove. Ooh, Venomore's notion sin can't understand. We a message when we. And this is a. Uh, it's just like O2, like oxygen, I guess. Here I go in my black forest. What it is with the real groove rolling through the burial and deep frying of my hammer and horn. Here goes some lip-smacking swine and a black spear. It's an appositional quickness we stuck on. The first six books taste good, and you pale when you become an observer. When you make your observations on being an observer, when your ruler takes over, we detonate and chant and dredge the sea. If I ever even try to stop singing this, you can eat my heart. Till then, I'll be trying to kill you every day. I say this not to you, as if you were there, or you, but to the house band. This head just stay in the air. We must be our own dream, huh, Miss Jackson? I would be so quiet when I stole into the kitchen to get my cookie, which you said was mine without ever saying so. So you could dream about me doing it again and again while falling, still falling, your air just out of reach, all information blown away. All that fabric inside, the gravity of all that free love. Yet whole. 
everything it complicates it also unmasks. Robert Duncan once wrote, an absolute scale of resemblance and disresemblance establishes measures that are music in the actual world, an idea which anticipates in many ways Michael Palmer's lyrical metaphysics. Actively traversing the spaces between paradox and unity, between a semantic and a surreal, he turns reflection in both senses of the word into a somatic music of inquiry and revelation. Mm -hmm. He's the author of more than 10 books of poetry, including notes for Echo Lake, Sun, Promises of Glass, and Company of Moths. He's translated work from French, Russian, and Portuguese, and has collaborated extensively in the fields of dance and visual art. His honors include the Wallace Stevens Award from the Academy of American Poets, two grants from the National Endowment for the Arts, and a Guggenheim Foundation Fellowship. From 1999 to 2004, he served as a chancellor of the Academy of American Poets. sections. I won't have time. To, I'll just well, I'll begin with the, the first section is called Laughter of the Sphinx, and then the second section is called Still. Um, the full title being Still a Cantata or Nada for Sister Satan. We'll see. We'll maybe get a couple of those in. Meanwhile, I'll just start at the beginning and go on from there, as Richard Science sort of said once. Idiot Song. By permission of the sun, the Arctic chill descends. In a teacup, a storm, in a sentence, the logician's fate and poetry, an enemy of the state of things. By the roadside in a ditch or beneath a buckled bridge. Now it is our wounds that make love in the streets. Wounds hastily dressed with vetiver and mint, while slender poplars bend amidst the violent winds. What is your name, mindless son? What idiot song will mark your end? This, uh, the next one is called Let Us Ravel the Silence. It has a slightly elaborate history. Um, I was 
asked um, <coughs> to um, uh, the painter Irving Petlin, a painter who lives uh, in Paris and New York and is a very old friend. We've done a lot of work together. Um, was uh, doing uh, a, a series of uh, his pastels for a magazine in Paris. And I was asked to kind of, uh, they were an illustration of W.G. Sebald's um, um, uh, Rings of Saturn's great, extraordinary novel of, of Sebald's. And I was, at, they were taken from the illustrations in um, of the book itself. And I was asked to sort of make a meta-illustration of Irving's painting. All right. Whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's a moment in this book which is like a travel uh, memoir novel um, in, uh, in East Anglia, England. Uh, I won't go into it anymore, but uh, if you haven't read the Rings of Saturn, it's worth looking at. Let us ravel the silence, let us ravel the silence, its pages turning. It is the hum, after all, of no sound, a buzz of absent bees, a swirl of sky licked by flame, and a waste of sea. Reeds bending east towards a tentative shore, scatter song of light's passage across a curving earth. There is a bridge in the bare distance. It is a bridge between silences, bridge of steel where once the emperor's dragon was meant to pass bearing the palaces of the gods on its back, brows furled over blazing eyes, scales of gold coating the torso. And always the stones at sea bottom, like extinguished stars. The sun here neither rises nor sets. Does chalk emit a breath? Next one is called for Laszlo K, meaning the Hungarian novelist Laszlo Krasnohorka. He says it's difficult even for the Hungarians to pronounce. <laughs> uh, great novelist and also great um, collaborator on film in Hungary. And so Laszlo was staying with us a couple of years ago and uh, for a few days while he was giving readings in San Francisco and after he left, he left I was reading back through his work and this came to me. The characters are the victims of the novel. They pay with their lives for our words. They fall between the pages in their silence and we invent hounds to devour them. We invent worlds to swallow them. We pass sentence upon them. The hangman arrives with his silken rope, its infinite strands forming a circle without beginning or end. Round is the wave's gray eye rolling toward what sudden shore, unpeopled yet teeming with watchful night fires. The laughter of the Sphinx. The laughter of the Sphinx caused my eyes to bleed. The blood from my eyes flowed onto that ancient map of sand Ridiculous as I am, often 
have I been drawn to such lands, rippling oceans of silence and the distant enigmatic glow of burning shops and burning scrolls, overseen by river birds and mitered beasts, sad-eyed scholars and mournful scribes, omniscient ibises, and in the dust-clogged air, <coughs> the laughter of the sphinx endlessly riddling, endlessly echoing, loosing the blood's engulfing tide. His artificial lover sings a wordless song. The year of silence coming to an end, my artificial lover joins me on the fevered wheel to the tune of Tinker's Polka, plums of purity, under the double eagle, when the white magnolias bloom. Artificial love was in flower amidst the revolutionary fragments. I wondered then, do captive griffins roar in their dreams? The mosquito waltz, tiger mourning for its shadow. Far from the real, a day of naked beauty, filtered light. Do children link their arms as before? Do they play at rounders, blind man's buff? Will the despoilers have it all to themselves, even the textured sky? Zichuan, we often ask the same questions, it seems. Or is it simply that together we study the stars in Mechanicsville? Orion's belt shone, the sisters and the drinking gourd. Words formed their own seamless patterns, one moment sundered next. My artificial lover joined me on time's wheel in the painted world. The birds of the hours crossed and recrossed before us. The crowded barks set out. The Isle of Dogs is um, uh, Isle of Dogs is the next poem. <coughs> uh, the Isle of Dogs is in the sand. No, the Thames. Thames. On the Isle of Dogs, we barked. We had our say from day till dark. A chorus we were of piebald hounds. Our howling spiraled out across the downs. We howled at the redness of light. Bayed at the rising waters and approaching night, we lived on an island of sounds. None listened, none heard. The sounds were entirely ours. None listened, none heard, but we didn't care, as long as our howls shaped the still air. We lived on the Isle of Sounds. Um, what follows is a sequence of six poems. I'll just read a couple. Um, I was uh, making, I, I, for 40 years or more, I collaborated with a dance company in San Francisco, a contemporary dance company, doing various things, working with electronic composers, and using language or not using language, just working on structure. For a piece called Lightnings, um, fairly recent, um, I did a sequence of six poems which we ended up using in various fashions scattered throughout the work. Um, and let's see, I'll just read a couple of them. Oh, I'll read three. Light Moves 2. 
bright light of sleep and shortness of breath and thousand sexual sounds, curved and fretted light, lives of that light, dark inner light, its whispered words. Now beyond, now below, this to left, this to right, scarecrow in stubble field, nighthawk on wire, those to cleanse your sight. Um, the sequence is also dedicated to in homage to Jackson McCloe, who um, over the years did a number of things called light dances, also for actual <coughs> events. And I remember reading some of them when I was very young and I kind of maniacrafted edition. Uh, and they left an impression on me, and I always wanted to thank Jackson for them. Good trend of all of us, I guess. Light moves five. Night sun and day sun, twinned and intertwined, light by a bedside, cat's eye by night, owl light and crystal light, endless motion of the light, the rise and the fall, the splintered flare, trimming northern lights, phosphor, tip of iris, gum metal moons, far reflected light, oil sheen on pelican's wing. And then the final one is light move six. And yet, what have we done? Where have we gone? Sometimes in light, sometimes not. Traveling, we say, the great world, the small world, the fields patched with yellow, the sudden crows, the city streets, alone among others, the billowing streets, bodies crowding past, outlined by light. What have we done among the roads and fields, in the theater's shadows and the theater's light, so bright you cannot see those watching beyond in perfect rows in the dark? The next one is um, <coughs> going to be published by Nate, Magnet, Nate Mackey, Nathaniel Mackey, a friend of Fred's as well, um, in his wonderful magazine, Hamlet, which comes out whenever Nate is ready to publish it. Untitled 27.7.12. A messenger passed over me. It was 11.41 p.m., and I thought, I wish I were as stark and true as Sonny Rollins, those nights on the singing bridge, wished to gnaw on the singing bones in Charlieville and Rome, wished for the peace of the blaze, peace of the parasite, of the eternal ferryman, blind to the river's twin sides. A messenger passed over me. It was 11.43. I washed the last dishes gazed at my altered eyes in the fractured glass, found fellowship with a moth, flecked with gold, tore certain pages apart. A messenger passed over me. It was 11.51. I watched the rain seep through the roof, counted the drops, thinking of Lipo. A messenger passed over me, passed through me, excuse me. A messenger passed through me. It was 11.58 passed over the waters of the warming world, passed through the eaves, the walls, the pages of this house, and I knew that soon enough I would become a fossil bird or a diorite star. 
in elegy, and then parentheses, the mute Carter sings. <coughs> sings, when young we lived in a certain enveloping light and things turned, it seemed, toward our eyes as if coming to be. Yet to see them again as if ourselves then, the quartzite stone, the blood pours through, how it pours silently through the bright stone. The pepper tree that speaks of lost meanings by a stream, meanings of speech, meanings of tree, what meaning to the stream? Wheels on the, <coughs> on the night path sounding their way. The mute carter sings, my cart is full, my cart is empty, one and the same. The voices of children and dogs intermingling, the slender girls along the shore chanting the coming mysteries, the confounding mysteries of what is to be. In elegy, the mirror reassembling its shards. In elegy, memory embracing its shadows. In elegy, shadows refashioning the body. In elegy, the bell betraying the hours. In elegy, the page borne off by a breeze. The mute carter sings, we swallow the earth limb by limb, we pry open its head to peer in, cut out its heart, sever its sex, to dissect, to possess. The mute carter sings by night of such things along the way. His cart is full, his cart is empty, one and the same. <coughs> this is called uh, Tomb of Amy Césaire, the great uh, Caribbean poet. I, I mourned a person who turned out not to be dead. Of that, what is to be said? The surgical noise of the city, sentence and song under earth. I wept for something lost, a dawn or a dusk or a thought, a thing that couldn't be bought. Sun, throat, cut, woman removing a glove. And the body at once naked and veiled, waiting and waiting for what? Coma berenices above the bay, sea rack beneath, speech of the bone and of the polychrome wing, speech of the leaf descending and of the rubble in a ruined field. Words have their lives apart. I mourned a person who turned out not to have died between a feral sky and a flooded shore where a wave was frozen in midair. This poem is called Storm. Basho by my bedside these many years. Little wonder the roof is leaking. <laughs> um, next one is called In Memory of Ivan Cherokee. And Ivan was a good friend of mine when I was um, at university. Like they say. I don't know if I was actually at university, but the university was at me. And he was at Iran as well. He uh, came from an ancient, extraordinary Russian 
any great family whose grandfather had been uh, uh, a, uh, a very well-known romantic composer for uh, uh, ballet, and ballet and other things. Uh, his father was a well-known composer. Um, and uh, he and his brother both became uh, very well-known uh, composers working with electronics and other things. Ivan sadly died quite young. And uh, I read about, a couple of years ago, in the New York Times, I read about a concert by Ivan's son, who is a composer, uh, who was doing things through the body. Um, the body sound is hooked up uh, using the body as an instrument. And um, these memories of Ivan and me in Paris among other things flooded back. Um, he had a, uh, um, a there was a, a family had a, a studio in Paris in uh, the Latin Quarter, and uh, I I hooked up with Ivan there and, uh, there at one point when I was I don't know 19, 20 years old, and we went out for a walk through the streets of Paris, and he pulled out a joint. And I thought, man, did he do that? <laughs> and he did. We did. Um, so one of those walks is sort of recalled here. The memory of Ivan Cherokee. So many sounds flower, but they are not flowers. They are mangled birds in a field, a field of flowers, echo of hooves, heavy metal of tanks, music's lost memory. In the enveloping mist are shoes squealing upon the paving stones while winding through your Paris streets. Which one of us said the absolute secret of art lies in the tongue of a shoe? Who said the true secret of art resides in the gaze of a cat and that's that? Which one of us asked, is this the buried sound of the future past? Do electrons still sing while no one is listening? A little stoned, perhaps. We spoke of corpses waving batons, hierophants, professing poems, as the mist cloaked our words and midsummer night measure by measure finally arrived. Ivan Alexandrovich, is it only the fugitive things that rattle the cells and ring through the air, le va et le vient, as you put it? the slow rise of a half-step followed by falling semitones in a day of one birth and one death. So many sounds flower, but they are not flowers. They are street calls and cries and the promises of bone and the bright, sightless eye at the flower's brief heart. This is called Call. Call it paradise or end of days, voiceless either way, the brief, the long, seeming dream. We scan the high plains, Elena, for the fevered travelers, weary, onyxide travelers in caravans bearing guns and gold, bright promises of jade, scented oils and healing herbs, pelts of elk and bear, and strange to our ears, 
the high-pitched, quavering songs in exotic tones, perhaps canticles of desire or lamentation, prayers perhaps, that the journey end well, that darkness and light find their balance in the passage from dark to dark. So the severed words rang out in the gathering dark as the figures disappeared beyond the faint arc of the indescribable world. Goes on, goes gone, came the thought. Salt sands, boundary stones, nebulae, ferrous cliffs, bone beds, solar disks. And there it ends, Elena, a scene or dream with no meaning, so the silent dream insists. Night birds passing, all glimpsed through a clouded lens. Now it is I who cannot grasp a pen. Jerusalem in April of 2013 with my wife, Kathy. And uh, <coughs> uh, again, working with the Margaret Jenkins Dance Company, collaborating with uh, an Israeli company in that fraught urban cityscape. Um, and as, as always, the uh, tensions of the moment were quite high. And we were in this uh, dance studio of um, uh, a modern, very modern Israeli dance company. And outside I heard uh, children walking by singing Old MacDonald, which seemed anomalous. Is that the word? Strange. Untitled Jerusalem, April 2013. A poem, since that's what it called itself, left me behind at the Damascus Gate. It was, it said, one of a kind. It rained dry rain within this poem at the Gate of Stone and snowed a snow of burning words with ancient scars at their hearts. The gate opened and the gate came closed, opened and endlessly closed, even through those nightly dreams when the women of the song approached <coughs> one by one to offer here a silken limb, there a sidelong glance or searing thoughts. My dictionary held no word for snow, no word for song or stone. My dictionary startled me with its gaze as the children by the gate sang in an unknown tongue of a man so very, very old, who once had a farm and a field in the chalk-colored valley below, a field of olives and date palms and goats. The children chanted, E-I, E-I-O, E-I, 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 E-I-O, rhythm, sky, their voices sounding across the valley floor. They sang hello, goodbye. I left a poem behind at the Damascus Gate, it was, it said, one of a kind. I swore to return sometime, though I knew it would be gone. Uh, this is another kind of collaboration I was asked for. Uh, 
Dutch magazine, uh, magazine Belgium, to uh, they was doing a, a, a um, exhibition of the uh, great public sculptor Anish Kapoor, and uh, one of the pieces they were showing was a, a kind of wooden statue of a mountain, early piece of Kapoor's. And so a number of folks were asked to respond to that for a publication that whatever this museum was, I forget, Museum of Technical Art, uh, <coughs> was doing. A dream of sound inside the mountain after Anish Kapoor. It is too brief, this life inside the mountain where headless horsemen sing fevered songs of self and war. When did we first notice the trees of model bone? When first hear the calling of crows, contention of the orchard orioles, the sleepers echoing cries, rehearsing their final words, resisting final dreams? These dreams were mine and not mine, say the walls of stone, walls of the poem. Hedge crickets sing, and the white whale its whiteness sings in the stone dream, and the lost hours have each their silent song in the heat of bee time and the shock of desire, those times when time is not, and the endlessly shifting stones carelessly speak, and rain floods the rutted roads. It is too long this spiral life. It is too brief how the wind and light pass through our bodies of glass. Since I read the tomb of Amy uh, Severa and we may as well do a few more, another tomb. Um, at, at the tomb of Artaud, Antonin Artaud, the great poet and artist and actor and theater artist. At the tomb of Artaud, wherever it may be, we hear a howl unmistakable, the howl of a wounded wolf gnawing at its foreleg, caught in the teeth of a hunter's steel trap. At the tomb of Artaud, wherever it may be, a sleeper and his double throw dice made of bone. Should the dice fall just so, they explain, it will snow on the tomb of Artaud. Should they fall otherwise, the earth will be dry. A dancer and her double make love on the bright stones the light bringers by the tomb of Artaud that has become a book of stone they care not to read, whatever it may mean, as the fitful iridescent dragonflies alight on the wet heat of their bodies. Only later will they piss on his grave as a clock without hands applauds in the dark. Arto came to me in the middle of writing this poem and he said, you're getting a little too lyrical here. <laughs> so, so the final scene. Oh, maybe he said, I will piss on your grave. <laughs> <laughs>
Poem, October, November 2013. It is true that we write with one eye toward dying. True that we write with a blind eye. Eye blinded by a shadow cast across the sun or by a fictive glimpse of the beloved. It is true that we do not write. That a, me that a measureless silence writes in our place of all it surveys and cannot say. The phosphorus rain, the lies of the prophets, the table set for dinner, in a suddenly deserted house of stone. What wild storm swept them away? What thing unforeseen, implements, full pictures and plates, still carefully arrayed, as if an evening meal were always to come? It is true that as we write, our skin grows transparent, our bones brittle, and the words take leave of what they thought to mean. The scent of bay and mint lingers nonetheless, by the scorched field's jagged edge, where, in a jagged moment, nothing's to be said. Oh, actually, I will read one more from the first section, called After. And to write a poem beneath And to write a poem beneath a sickle moon is barbaric. And to write it, and to trace a poem upon the lover's body is barbaric. And to write a poem amidst the dust, amidst the dust storm of history is barbaric. And to read a poem, to read while the book is burning, and to enter the paper house while the streets are burning, to enter the paper house which is silent, and to hear the song, should we call it a song, soonest gone of the cicadas in the parching heat, when to drink of the lover's liquid is barbaric, and to wander in a dark wood, wander lost in a dark wood, yeah. to look and to begin to say farewell, to begin and to dwell, to dwell upon, to dwell among. And then two brief uh, lyrics, I think. Um, from from the, the final section called Still, which is meant as a sort of Dada or Nada Tantara, <laughs> dedicated to Sister Satan. Um,
Um, a number of these were written uh, in July of uh, this past year. And uh, my wife Kathy and I were uh, back east with our daughter and grandchild, grandson, and, and, and our daughter's husband. And it was in one of those extraordinary moments in a child's development where they were learning eight, ten words a day. Always. And so uh, coming into language in a just uh, celebratory fashion. <coughs> so uh, here's uh, the, this response to that, and it's dedicated to my grandson, Nico. And the children sing knowing and unknowing in the space of the field that is opening in the child's slow time, the rhymes of the day, and the rhymes of night, the rhymes of still water, and those of sudden fire, of the lamb, the dolphin, and the unicorn, and the white spider constructing a cloud. Say apple for the first time. Say yellow apple, wagon, plum, seahorse, flying horse, river horse, and taste mint. Say mint. Watch the lantern light as it plays across the furred walls of a barn, the curves of a rutted path. Words so many made for ears, for eyes, so many eyes. Say I, say cyan, violet, wintergreen beneath your feet. The simple words as they vanish among the white oaks, echoing shadows, the pawpaws, the sassafras with robed leaves, the spirals of summer thought, sing the secrets of the stream. Thank you.
Any questions or answers? If not, we can go Well, it was kind of intriguing. We got to wear these sort of Nazi-like uniforms <laughs> and uh, pass judgment to the left and to the right. It was odd. It was an interesting moment, actually. It was a time of, uh, of uh, reorganization. The, 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 the academy had been pretty moribund for a long time. There was a bit of a revolution in the field of poetry, it was very exclusionary and Mandarin for the most part, with some exception. And so, uh, and we're speaking of, um, of uh, minorities and women in particular, as usual, uh, but, um, but also of, it was not at all representative of the wide fields of American poetry. Uh, it was dominated pretty much by a kind of rather predictable literary establishment. And so they decided they would try to stir things up a bit and, and um, they were, um, brought in some people who otherwise might not have been brought in. So it was an interesting time um, and uh, not entirely satisfactory because everything's by committee and committees <sighs> make judgments by what they can agree upon, even if it's nobody's favorite, you know. <laughs> so, um, um, but I learned a few things, and I left a year earlier. I took as much as I could. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was an interesting experience, and, and uh, in the back rooms, uh, it was fun to see how uh, John Ashbury and others were were operating. Uh, <laughs> In a good sense. <laughs> but it did ultimately make me unhappy. Other questions? Yeah? Start or should I? I'm already here. <laughs> um, but that's a fascinating question. Um, yes, in a certain way, um, I, 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 I do want the poetry on the page to represent something of how it will sound in the air, uh, certainly. And I want people to be able to hear the music. Um, uh, as they read uh, silently. You know, reading poetry silently is very different from reading a story silently because we're kind of orchestrating it as we go along. Otherwise, we're missing it. Otherwise, we're just looking for the quote meanings and missing them. Um, at the same time, we know that when you get, get up and give a reading in front of people, it all passes through. There are certain levels of ambiguity or complexity or whatever 
or subtlety. It can't possibly be observed, uh, taken in at one shot in a reading. So you're, so you're, so you're playing with the noises and giving a reading and hope that that will lead people back, maybe to the page, to um, if they're interested enough to get at the dimensions that might pass by. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even think I really have very much to add. Uh, it's, 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 it is a really interesting question. Um, and I hadn't thought about it. I think I'm focused so much on uh, well, the, the, the process of writing for me is so much of it is reading it out, out loud while I'm composing and, and not only hearing how it sounds, I, I mean I even like, you know, make tapes so I can hear how it sounds and then revise based on that. But a lot of it also is just how it feels coming out of my mouth. Like there's a, a term that people now use sometimes with regards to, you know, mouth big thing to me um, and I guess I feel like if I if I can get it if I can create some kind of coordination between what I see and what I hear and what is coming out of my mouth and how that feels then I have to have some it gives me some confidence that it'll be okay for other people to listen to. Um, I had one thing which was uh, I only read a couple of things that were for dance, but I've done a lot of work for performance. And I suppose the, those texts uh, can be thought of as more perf immediately performative. And when I'm writing those texts, um, I'm thinking of how, even more immediately how they will project into space. Not necessarily with my voice, sometimes we use my voice, but Mine has a <coughs> certain softness to it that doesn't resonate in large auditoriums, so try to get someone with uh, a different texture often. Um, so in that case, I realize, as, as I think about your question, that uh, I, I am coming at it somewhat differently. If the primary uh, event is going to be theatrical, let's say. And you, with performance texts also, well, uh, maybe it's all performing in a certain way, but there are some that are explicitly for performance. Well, the, um, yeah, the, the some were written, and 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 in my mind, it, they always show up as well. If I'm being really hard on myself, inadequate, or otherwise, if I'm trying to be more generous, just sort of as as addenda to to something that I saw, like this Sanka Kajuko, I can hear, it was this amazing sort of buto yeah. thing, and about 20 minutes into the performance, this smell had wafted into this auditorium, it was a huge uh, space, and I was up in the balcony, and they were moving, they, do, they were doing the dancing on, on, on sand, on a kind of, on mm -hmm. So that the actual movement had created this little cloud mm -hmm. of sand that you could then smell. Mm -hmm. 
so that what I'm trying to, it gives me this absolutely impossible task of trying to not so much capture that, but to join with, with that, so that it, it really is this intense sensual experience that, that is all the senses. And I didn't realize that the sound that I was hearing was the sound of their feet on dirt until I could smell the dirt. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then the other stuff was much more like, um, I literally was trying to use imperatives because I was trying to establish a very specific set of performance protocols that folks in the, who were there were hopefully at least had the option to, to, to do. Yeah. Like yeah. flapping your hands yeah. before yeah. you know, so. mm -hmm. <coughs> Question. So in process of building a manuscript, um, when you are um, in the process of negotiating between sound and image and performance on the page, how do you negotiate that across pages of space yeah. and also sonic space? Well, you know, to some extent, I always think the words do the speaking. So, uh, one of the sort of egregious things about poetry is that you are led to places you didn't anticipate um, by the structure as it's informing itself. Um, at least if poetry is exploratory and interesting. I mean, we can look at certain kinds of formulaic poetry where people, it's a setup, and people are writing the same old stuff. Um, to 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 meet an expectation rather than to subvert an expectation to uh, uh, for an audience that only wants the familiar rather than the defamiliarized or the unfamiliar. So if you have that ambition for it to be exploratory and to surprise you as you go along, uh, the the music and the meaning are in this kind of interesting conversation. Uh, or, or dance or uh, combat uh, with being unclear who, who's going to win at the end. Um, and I think this is what turns some people off to poetry because uh, it, it, the, the, that combatimento, that, uh, that struggle uh, is, uh, can be uncomfortable and meaning at the end is not always evident until you return to it and invest yourself as the other party, the receiver of these words, where the meaning lies in you in a way, not in the text. So this is another element, or in a conversation between you and the text. It's not completed until there's a reader. Um, and uh, so um, we have to have a willing reader, a reader who's willing to um, 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 move, move a little beyond the habitual in order to negotiate the the, mel the melos, the melody, and the and the semantic, the meaning component, and of course, w when you have poetry like ours, uh, the meaning isn't going to be stable from reader to reader. It's going to move around and uh, depend to. It, it, it's an open semantic field in a way, and it's going to depend on the experiences and desires of the reader. I'm just agreeing with you because, <laughs> because 
I learned from him. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's, yeah, I mean, there's something very, it's not that there's, there's a whole bunch of, there's a long trajectory of very of specific thinking that that comes back to, you know, and it's really just, um, you know, and, and I guess there's what people would call like a politics to it, you know, but it's just kind of like, um, there's one part of it where you feel like be teaching in a university you know, especially teaching in the English department, you're constantly kind of having to confront the gap between um, your own affective relation to the stuff that you're teaching and maybe the, the absence of such an affective relation on the part of a lot of your students. <laughs> it's not anybody's fault and it doesn't mean anybody's a bad person. It's just that you're desperately in love with this stuff and other people aren't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and so, and I've tried my best to try to maintain a kind of non-moralistic attitude about it. And sometimes <laughs> I fail. But, but then over the course of time, I realized that it was not just about, it wasn't really about the fact that I love this stuff and they didn't love it. It was more deep. It was deeper and co more complicated. And it really has, and in my mind at least, it has to do with, um, it just has to do with more generally with like what, who it is or what it is that we think we are, you know? Um, and so when I guess I'm thinking about what it means to give up what you never had, I'm thinking about what it is to give up an idea of personhood that you never actually yeah. had. <laughs> you know, that, that, that I wasn't, in fact, asking students to give up what they had, but we were all being asked to give up something that we never had. You know, um, it's like giving up a dream, uh, giving up our delusion. You know? um, and, uh, you know, so I, anyway, I, it's, no, I'm sorry. I think that, that's so interesting, and I think that. Um, isn't the beauty of a dream, like, doesn't that have its roots in the realization of the dream itself, regardless of whether or not you have to give it up? So I think that's amazing that with just one line, you can, like, totally give me feels right now. <laughs> you know, like, I loved it. I think it was so beautiful. Thank you. I have a question. Thank you so much, both of you. It was beautiful. So reverent. Beautiful. Um, what can you only do in uh, criticism, and what can you only do in poetry? Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
or whatever. <laughs> Criticism, poetry, go. Well, this will be incoherent, okay. Um, but somehow I feel like I still believe in the distinction between poetry and criticism. As, no, 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 that's not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm just, I'm at a point, I feel like I'm at a point now where I'm just trying to, I'm no, I don't, I, there's all this stuff that I love that's, that people call poetry, and there's all this stuff that I love that people call criticism, and I know what they mean when they make a distinction between the two, and it's not like I wanna, I don't wanna just obliterate that distinction. But by the same token, I'm at the point now where I just want to write stuff, <laughs> or not even that. I think I, I just want to, y'all know C.A. Conrad? Yeah. Okay. So one time Conrad came to my class when I was teaching at Duke, and he said, I got to a point, he said, where I decided I didn't want to write poetry, I wanted to be poetry. <laughs> and I feel like after Conrad, not because I'm so committed to an eclipse of criticism or because I don't want to do it anymore. But I just want to, I just want to be part of poetry. Our mutual friend, Bill Corbett, the word that I would use to describe him, and it's the highest compliment that I could give, is that he, he's a servant of poetry. He's a curate. And I just, I want to be that. That's what I would like to do. I, just, I just really, after 35 years or whatever, I still really pretty much just want to be like Bill. And, um, <laughs> and I don't know what that means for, he's written great books on painting, on, on Philip Guston. On, he just, he writes in the general field, it seems to me, within which he operates is what I would call poetry. And it's got all this critical depth and richness to it. So I just want to, I'm just trying, I just want to be like that. There are some distinctions also to be made. I mean, the critical thought is, <coughs> encompasses a very wide range of possibility. You know, it encompasses work by working poets who are articulating, continuing to articulate a poetics through other figures. Um, it also uh, 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 encompasses professional critics who don't have a, uh, a pretension to uh, be writing poetry, and that's, that involves very different approaches, generally speaking. Um, but also, um, um, uh, there is the, um, uh, the, the, the obvious, uh, in, let's say, conventional uh, literary criticism which would not necessarily be an inventive criticism uh, in the poetic sense. You have dominance of a, a reasoning mind and um, uh, an explicatory mind. And um, the poetic criticism I'm thinking of tends to be more 
um, uh, an appreciation, uh, maybe an uncommon, unusual appreciation, and less directed necessarily towards, let's say, a student audience, but 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 towards a reader in a less um, um, uh, specific sense. And um, and then of course, under critical thinking, you think of. Uh, Coleridge's biographical literaria and things like that, the works in poetics by poets, which tend to be highly speculative and uh, inconsistent and uh, uh, opium-ridden. Really. <laughs> um, so, so it's hard to put everything under an umbrella and pretend that it's one topic in that way, speaking about it. Um, I know I always, when I do critical writing uh, or lecturing, um, talks that end up being published. I try to stay close to the uh, to, uh, to the poetic sensibility, to let it take me where I go. I, uh, rather than putting out a topic sentence and all of that and assembling all the critical writing around it and then making my contribution, I sort of write in a kind of um, uh, serial fashion without an end in mind, hoping that that kind of uh, speculative thought, uh, which we get also in philosophy, the differences in the way people approach making philosophy, um, th that, it, that it be um, uh, uh, less um, uh, 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 structured as a plot in a way, structured as a reasoned argument and more as exploration um, and uh, which may come to ruin, uh, as we poets come to ruin anyway. <laughs> but it's not meeting a standard, nor is it necessarily pedagogical in intent. It's appreciative in intent. But it's not necessarily meant to be a text for a student um, a handbook or something like that. So they're very wide range. And interesting, when we talked about, about Bill's um, uh, writing on painting and visual arts, uh, you can contrast, for example, some of the very fine um, um, academic, uh, highly academic, highly theoretical writing on um, the visual arts uh, over the last 30 years um, with the writing on the visual arts that people like John Ashbery and Jimmy Schuyler and other poets have done. They're both very worthwhile and interesting approaches, but they're very, very different in what they reveal about the work. And one pretends more to an intellectual objectivity uh, or at least objectification, and the other one is frankly uh, subjective and celebrates uh, um, of community of, of, of artists and friendships and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, one argues with the other that the one is hidebound and, and institutional and the other is irresponsible. Uh, but that's not the case. They're both useful um, uh, approaches to, to the object. And, and it's something very similar in, in, in literary criticism, too. I would just say that after hearing Michael talk, my tendency now is to believe that it is possible to write something that would be um, that could be both critical and celebratory, and and I find that 
<laughs> that poetry is the general feel or the general spirit, the general atmosphere in which it's possible to do that. Mm -hmm. And so even if I'm trying to be critical, I still want to do it mm -hmm. within the general frame, feel, yeah, or air, yeah. or atmosphere. Basically, I was thinking about, I mean, I, you know, I think about this kind of stuff all the time. So I was thinking about it the other day, and I, uh, okay, so basically, you know, am I sort of, so-called critical work or that, that aspect of it. You know, my primary interest has been in studying black social life, which for me is essentially the same thing as what I call blackness. First of all, it, it, it blackness is social. It is irreducibly social. So basically, um, to the extent that I've had to engage in critique, it's because often black social life or blackness shows up, comes into relief most sharply against that which attempts to negate it, or to suppress it, or even to kill it. Um, but that, that relationship between blackness and black social life is still what I'm most interested in, that, that, that interplay or, or that field and my stance towards it is celebratory. And therefore, I would say, you know, that it is it's poetic. And for me, the, again, at a certain point, these terms blur into one another in a way that maybe people might not think of as particularly rigorous. But I don't mm. care at this point <laughs> that blackness and poetry are all bound up. Blackness, sociality, and poetry are all bound up with one another for me. Yeah. Can't separate them. Um, and so, the the whatever other the, the work I'm, I'm trying to do now in general is always in, is interested in that that convergence or that entanglement. Okay, um, I, which is to say, it's interested in entanglement <laughs> on the most basic level, and then on a sort of meta level, it's interested in that entanglement, the relationship between blackness, sociality, and poetry. Um, so, and, and for me, I, like I said, I'm just, I can't think of these things as, as separate anymore. Um, and the more that I begin to think about it that way, the less the critical aspect becomes crucial for me. I'm just not, 
I feel like now I'm beginning to figure out a way to see something without having to see it against the backdrop of what negates it. And that put, puts me in a position where the critique aspect of things doesn't have to be so foregrounded. Um, and I'm just... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.